Friendship isn't the big things, it's a million little things. Welcome friends, to the A Million Little TV Shows podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I'll be delving into TV shows that I feel don't seem to get enough love. Over the course of the pod, we'll break down episodes and talk about my thoughts and feelings on the shows. Welcome to this, the latest episode of A Million Little TV Shows Podcast. This is now Season 3, Episode 12, and we are so close to getting to Season 4. I am super excited about it. We've got quite a few favourites coming back, and obviously we're going to be covering Season 4 of A Million Little Things. But today we're going to be carrying on with the anthology series Modern Love. This is the American version, there are several other versions out there and as I've said before I'm hoping to cover them at some point. But this is just such a cute little show, it's just a nice departure from all the murder and the deep emotional toll that A Million Little Things takes on me. So we're going to get into it and hopefully we can just enjoy these last four episodes of this series because it is unfortunately the final ones, it's the final four episodes. But we're going to get into it. We're going to have a good time. Um, I know I am because I love the show. I hope you guys are either watching along or you've seen it already or you just want to go and have a look and see what it's all about. But I'm going to stop rambling and we're going to get into it because as always, the 40-minute episode shows that I cover end up being really long episodes. And so I just try and keep these ones like short and sweet so that you can just get on with it, listen to this episode and get on with your day and hopefully it's appreciated out there i am trying as hard as i can to keep the other episodes as quick as possible but when you've got four 40 minute episodes or five 40 minute episodes whatever it is it is a lot of content to be trying to condense down to get notes for but let's get into it shall we so here we go modern love season two episodes five to eight Episode 5, Am I? Maybe this quiz game will tell me. This stars Lulu Wilson as Katie, Grace Edwards as Alexa, and Maria Drizia as Laurie. Katie's a high school student, and while she is, as all typical teenagers are, obsessing over classes and study and what to do after the day has ended, whether she's going to be hanging out with friends or whatever, She's also finding herself, and it's due to this that she has started looking at quizzes. For instance, things like BuzzFeed quizzes, where it will determine whether you are a certain type of animal, or for one of the instances that she gives, her Patronus. But the quiz that she's most interested in is the Are You Gay quiz, because as she's talking to her friend Moosh on the phone, She's looking at Instagram at the same time. And while she's looking on there, she's more interested in a girl who's dancing on there than she is about the boy that her friend Moosh is trying to set her up with. But every time that she takes a quiz, it essentially says that she's either 20% gay or 0% gay. And so each time that she takes this quiz, she feels downhearted that it's not coming up with the answer that she thinks should be. 
they head out for the day at school and they are going to see a play. It's a Shakespeare in the Park kind of production and all the time she is looking at this girl. It's only after the play that eventually they're all just chatting and people are doing Instagram lives and things like that. And this girl comes over to her and introduces herself due to Katie's love of anime. And this is where they start to bond. And every time that Katie gets a text from this girl, Alexa, she's really giddy about it. And as people tend to in relationships, when they have other attentions, like a boyfriend or a girlfriend, sometimes their friends start to drop by the wayside. So whenever a friend Moosh is texting her, she's just not getting back to her. But as soon as Alexa texts, then... It's all guns blazing. She can't wait to reply. It seems that overnight they're going to be having a sleepover in the school. And both the boy who Moosh is trying to set Katie up with and this girl Alexa are both going to be there. So now that her crush is going to this lock-in at the school where it seems that they're just going to be sleeping over and playing loads of games like dodgeball and stuff. Katie is now worried because everything has to be perfect. It's that first flush of love where you just, everything has to be right. You want them to see you as perfect. And so everything around you has to be the same. So she's frantically looking around the house for a sleeping bag and the only one that she can find has a rip in it. So that's not good enough. And then she has a full meltdown when she can't find the one thing that she wants. And she has to end up taking her sister's sleeping bag who is several years younger than her and it's got Peppa Pig on it. Her mum tells her to invert it and it'll be fine. It's just for one night, but it's a teenage crush. It's irrational. And she has a meltdown about this whole thing. Eventually, they head out and she goes into the school. She's got the pink and purple Peppa Pig sleeping bag. And when she gets there, her friends are all happy to see her and the school is locked down for the night. One of the rules during the games that they play, for instance, capture the flag, is that they aren't allowed onto the second floor. It seems that Alexa is on another team. So as soon as they go hunting this flag, Katie spots Alexa and chases her down. When they actually get together, they decide to capture the flag of one of the other teams and so run off together. And of course, as you probably know already, they end up on the second floor. When they get up there, they hear a voice, one of the teachers shouting into the darkness, and they dip into the girl's bathroom and stand on the toilet to hide themselves. After the teacher goes and there's a lot of heavy breathing and they're all giggly and excited about what's going on, about being in the place that they shouldn't be, and they're together, Katie leans over and kisses Alexa. It's a shock to both of them, but it makes them both giggle, as it does when you were young and you had that first kiss. In fact... Anytime you have a first kiss with someone, it's always making you giggle. It's a nice feeling. Eventually, Katie and Alexa leave the bathroom and they head back down to the gym. But when they get there, everyone is in the gym and they are the last two to arrive. And so everyone seems a little bit worried that they weren't there. Especially Katie's friend, Moosh, who comes over and starts berating her and asking her, where the hell's she been? That girl's on a different team. Why have you been with her? And when Katie won't answer her questions... Moose just walks over to Alexa and asks, Who the hell are you? Why are you with my friend? You're not on our team, and just inquires about what the hell's been going on and where they've been. But Katie tells Moose that she doesn't even know this girl, she's never really met her. 
they just came back from the bathroom together. That was it. But as that happens, the teacher walks in, who was shouting down the corridor for them, and tells them both to come out into the corridor with her so that she can talk to them. When she does, both of them try to deny it, but the teacher knows that they were up there. So Alexa makes her excuse that she was feeling sick and that Katie was there to help her, but they don't even know each other, really. It was just a friendly act, nothing else. They're sent to separate sides of the gym for the rest of the night, and they're not allowed to even speak to their friends. And as they both saunter back in, both heads held low, Katie just grabs her sleeping bag and heads to her corner. So it would seem that for the rest of the night, Katie just can't sleep. She texts her mum to see if she can come pick her up. And when her mum asks, is everything okay? She just asks, can you come get me? So her mum comes out in the middle of the night and picks up her daughter. When she gets home again, she can't sleep. Her head is just swimming. She doesn't know what to do. She's on her phone, checking Instagram, checking everything that's been going on at the sleepover and just trying to forget about what happened. But every now and again, we see that she flicks back to the messages between her and Alexa. In the morning, she remembers that Alexa actually virtually gave her her address. She knows she only lives a few blocks down from her, so she decides to go over and see if she's at home yet. When she gets to the street, she finds her address because her mum's car's parked outside, and she sits on the wall outside and waits. Alexa's mum comes out, says hello, and asks her if she wants to come in. Katie does, and as she does, the mum is being really friendly with her, and she gets to meet Alexa's dad as well. They tell her that Alexa won't be too long and that she should just go up and wait in her room. So as she does, she just starts having a look around. It seems a very typical teenage room. Just pictures of her with friends and her with her family and things all over the walls. Katie hears the door go and she worries now because now she can't escape. Alexa's home and it's not like she can run. She'd have to run down the stairs and out the front door. So she waits. Alexa comes up and she explains everything. You can see how much these quizzes have got to Katie. She tells Alexa that she's not gay and that she shouldn't have kissed her. It was the wrong thing to do. And she knows she's not gay because she's took a quiz on it. And, and she knows that actually she's asexual because another quiz has told her so. So it meant nothing. It was, It wasn't something that she should have done, but it is something that she wanted to do. And it's this point Alexa picks up on. And she says, but you wanted to do it. And Katie stumbles over her words. She says, well, yeah, did, did you want to? And Alexa admits that she did. And all seems forgiven between the two of them that it wasn't a misunderstanding, that it was a genuine reaction, and that they're both just confused as we all are, especially at that age when you are trying to negotiate school life and love, when you throw the idea that you may be heading down a different path from what you thought, it can also be nerve-wracking. But thankfully, in this situation, it seems that both have a good guide in each other. And sometimes that's all that matters. Episode 6. In the Waiting Room of Estranged Spouses. This episode stars Garrett Hedlund as Spence, Gina Yee as Jeannie, Ben Rappaport as Nick, and Anna Paquin as Isabel. During the 4th of July party, a former Marine, Spence, finds out that his wife is cheating on him with a guy named Nick. And the person that tells him so is Nick's wife, Isabel. Isabel tells him that she thinks it's been going on a while. 
and that she plans to make the next day, July 5th, her Independence Day. The next day, she does exactly that. She confronts Nick and asks him why. And what he tells her was the thing that she feared the most, that he would tell her that as soon as their child came along, who is seems only probably six months old at this point, that as soon as that child came along, he didn't feel ready. And that since then, he's just been falling out of love with her. And he started to feel old. And he doesn't feel like he's ready for any of this. And so he sought solace in the arms of another woman. And of course, with Spence being out on manoeuvres, she would have been feeling probably lonely. And that's possibly why she was pushed into the arms of Nick. We see that Isabel is going to a therapist to talk about all of this because obviously it's a stressful situation. She's just lost her husband and she's got a child. She needs to have some sort of guidance on this. And we see that Spence isn't handling this well at all, where Isabel is being a bit more proactive about it because she's she's obviously got to. She's got the baby. She can't just bury her head in the sand. That's exactly what Spence is doing, and he seems to be playing a lot of games and not doing a lot else. He just seems to be staying at home. What I do like is that every now and again you'll see something in Nick's life where it'll cut away and be a bit surreal. For instance, when originally his wife walks off with Nick, he sends his team of marines after them and they take Nick away and she comes back to him. But it's all fantasy. And then while he's gaming, he's having a sword fight in a Japanese-themed game. And it ends up being a fight between him and his ex-wife. And they're both dressed up in Japanese attire and fighting with samurai swords. And it's really cool. But he's not handling it well. And we end up seeing that Spence has an accident in his car. And while he's waiting for the ambulance, he actually starts to look for a therapist. And so when he turns up for his therapy session an hour early... He goes and sits in the waiting room, but the next patient to go in, oddly enough, is Isabel. He strikes up a conversation with her, and she suggests that they go for coffee. The therapist, however, thinks it's a bad idea, but by this point, it's too late. They both walk out, and they go and grab a coffee together. Isabel expresses that she's glad that they met, because he's really the only one who knows what she's going through right now. They are in exactly the same situation. Spence asks if she believes that they're in love with each other, being Nick and Jeannie. And Isabel says, I don't care. Why? Why would you care? But Spence says, well, if I know that they're in love, it can sort of help me understand why she wanted to break our plan. And Isabel inquires what the plan is, because he's mentioned this before at the fireworks display. And he said, well... We were going to start looking at having a child. And then in a few years, we were going to have another. And then after 15 years, the house would be paid off and we could go on a cruise and enjoy the rest of our lives together. And Isabel says, well, it's not always how life works, especially when the kids come along. It's just a lot more difficult. Eventually, Isabel makes her excuses and leaves. 
Bushy, thanks, Spence, for his time. It was nice to get to chat to him for a bit and have someone who understands. As she leaves, Spence notices a sock on the floor from her baby, Charlie, and he picks it up and slips it in his pocket. So as many of us probably have done, Spence ends up joining a dating app. And while he's on there, he's obviously, it's all brand new to him. So his friend's kind of taking him through it. And he gets a match, and his friend just says, now you've just got to talk to her and see if you can go on a date, or, you know, whether you're compatible or whatever. Eventually, Spence is just sat by himself, as we've all done, swiping here and there, and Isabel's name pops up. And the next time we see them is they're together in a restaurant. Isabel claims that it's not a date. This is just a happy coincidence. And Spence is the same. He says, no, it's it's not a date. It's just that it would have been weird if I had seen you on the app and I hadn't said anything. So, you know, it's just what it is. It is what it is. Before they get a chance to order, Jeannie and Nick walk in. And they don't see Spence and Isabel together. But Spence spots them both. He asks Isabel whether she wants to go back to hers because she has some electrical issues and maybe he can help. And it's at this point that she spies them too and says, yeah, let's just get out of here. They head back and he becomes her handyman for the next few weeks. They begin to get closer and even on the advice of her friend not to do it, Isabel becomes closer to Spence. And she says that she wants to do something nice for him. So she offers to cut his hair because it's something that she can do that is handy, much like he has been the handyman around her house. And so and so she sits him in a chair and she makes his hair look less unkempt as it has been. And then she asks if he wants to go to dinner. And they decide that they're gonna go on a proper date. But as is life, unfortunately, Charlie gets ill. And Isabel obviously doesn't want to put this on a sitter because it's not fair for them to be having to look after an ill child when the mother's out just enjoying herself. So she she has to do what her mother does, and she stays home. She calls Spence, and she tells him that the date's going to have to be cancelled, take a rain check, and they'll do it another time. Spence decides while he's in the store that he's in that he'll get something for the baby, try and help the baby in some way. So he goes down the medicine aisle and also gets a get-well-soon balloon for the child. And as he's down this aisle, he's he's looking at the medicines there, and up walks Nick. And while he's stood there, he's talking to Spence, and Spence is just, well, at one point, imagining throwing tins of baked beans like hand grenades at Nick, and then ripping out his heart. But he's civil with him. He doesn't say anything too bad, or he doesn't react badly towards him. Nick tells him that he and Jeannie aren't together anymore. And he just doesn't care. Nick tells him that he needs to get something for his child because his child's sick and the mother won't let him take them both to the hospital. And Spence tells Nick that he needs to stand his ground as a father. If that's what he believes, that he needs to take his son to the hospital, then they need to go. Eventually, we see both Nick and Isabel in some sort of ICU and they're both separated from the baby. 
Isabella's text Spence to come over and he finds them in the hospital. Of course, Nick doesn't know that they've been seeing each other and so is a bit put out when he sees that the man who just advised him on his child is now stood in the hospital with them. Isabel tells Spence that it's meningitis and that if she'd have been as stubborn as she wanted to be, the child may not have survived. But Spence says nothing about the interaction with Nick and she believes that it was all on Nick, that he did this for them. While they're at the bedside of their sick child, Spence sees that maybe there's something between Nick and Isabel still that he doesn't want to stand in the way of. And so he leaves the hospital and we see a scene where Nick starts to shed all the parts of his life that we've seen of him so far. So after ringing Jeannie, he throws away his mobile phone. He then starts to shed his army gear and he starts to and then he starts to throw away the sparklers from the July 4th party and we see that he and we see that he sheds his outfit as a construction worker and the only thing that he pauses on is when he takes Charlie's sock out of his pocket but he sheds that too and it's as if he is cleansing himself of everything over the past few months that he's not been able to control we see him waiting on a dock and Jeannie turns up and he tells her that he wants her to be happy and she says the same he tells her that he'll sign the papers for her and she tells him how scared she was for him and this is where the car accident comes in because we find out that when that happened he wanted to kill himself and she was scared for him more than anyone and so now she seems happy that he's getting his life back together and he's sorting things out they leave on good terms and then we see it's Charlie's first birthday. Spence heads to the park where it's being held and he sees Nick. Nick's just doing some barbecuing and Isabel runs over saying, Hey stranger, where have you been? And they stand and talk for a minute and then and then Spence realises that Nick isn't with Isabel. His new girlfriend is there and apparently she seems fine. Isabel asks Spence whether he's free on Friday night because she needs some adult time. And he says, yeah, of course. As they stood singing happy birthday to Charlie, Isabel can't take her eyes off Spence and he can't do the same. And so the next time that we see them, they're sat in a waiting room. But this time, although it is the psychiatrist's waiting room, it's not for couples therapy, as you'd potentially think. The psychiatrist comes out and she looks and she's shocked to see them both there as if they booked a double session. But they don't say anything. They just get up. Isabel kisses Spence and he heads into his session. The psychiatrist looks quite at ease at how happy they are, even though she advised against it. And she sits down to talk to him. She says, well, I see there's been some huge changes in your life. And it's just that. Sometimes people, you find them in the least suspecting places. Okay, it was on a dating app, but it wasn't the dating app that brought them together. And it's just nice to know that after such a major relationship, there's always hope that something is around the corner. And it's a good feeling to hope. I've got a lot of hope right now myself. Episode 7, How Do You Remember Me? This episode stars Marquis Rodriguez as Ben and Zane Pais as Robbie. Ben is walking down a quaint little street in what looks like to be, I don't know, some sort of New England sort of village in the US. And while he's walking down the street with his partner, his partner's talking his ear off, talking about books, 
and talking about what they want to do later and things like that. Just just general chit-chat. As Ben looks down the street, he sees three people come out of a building. Two girls and one person he recognises. That person being Robbie. For the moment, Robbie doesn't see him, but Ben begins to have flashbacks of the time that he went out on a date with Robbie. And it seemed really hot and heavy. At that point, Robbie turns and looks down the street and sees Ben. And we see more of what happened during the day. And we also see several different clips from their time before. the How they got set up. Talking to friends about going on the date. Their first real kiss. And the fact that they slept together that first night. Throughout all of the date, though, there is one constant. And that is Ben's phone just keeps ringing. He keeps brushing it off as if it's his sister, but we're not sure what's going on. And as the night wears on, Robbie becomes a little suspicious of what is happening. We see the story through both Robbie and Ben's eyes. And obviously, like most people, they have two different opinions on what actually happened. But the most telling point is when it comes to the end of the night. They sleep together and they sleep together and fall asleep in each other's arms. But Ben's phone just keeps on ringing. Eventually he gets up and goes and listens to his voicemails. And they are actually from his sister. And it turns out that there are several voicemails on there. His sister sounds panicked, but she isn't giving away any information during the voice messages. So he calls her and she asks, where the hell have you been? We've been trying to get hold of you all night. And he just tells her that he's been out. She tells him that there's been an issue. They were having a barbecue at their house and their dad has ended up dropping down with no warning. They're not sure if it's a stroke or a heart attack, but he is in hospital. He is in a coma. And Ben is unsure whether he should come home or not. It seems wherever his family is, he's going to have to take a flight. And so his sister says, do what you feel that you need to do. And Ben thinks that he definitely needs to go home and be with his family right now because he's unsure of what's going to happen next. It's not sounding good for his dad. He's on life support. And so now he has to try and find a way to get back. And this is where we see the differing of opinions. We see it throughout the episode, but we see it mainly here as to what happened at this particular point. Robbie remembers it as if he got out of bed and was trying to be supportive and just trying to do what was best. And Ben's reaction to what he was asking was a little bit harsh. He knew Ben was going through a lot and he was just trying to be there. He was trying to help. Ben's side of it was as if he saw him as someone who was just being too needy. Yes, he was trying to help, but he was just being an annoyance at that point. He wasn't actually doing any good. He was just there. And it was frustrating for Ben to have all this to deal with. And now the person that he's just had one date with and slept with once is being a little bit clingy. And I suppose it shows that both sides of the story are important. Sometimes things don't work out for whatever reason. But if you manage to talk to the people about it, maybe you can clear some things up. Now, now these two had obviously just had one date and it was just something fun. You don't want to get too deep when it comes to something like that. But in a relationship, two sides to every story. You've got to try and take both sides as best as possible. While they're back on the street and it actually turns out to be in New York, Robbie and Ben and their groups of friends are walking closer and closer together. 
until they are across the street from each other. Eventually the lights turn and they cross the street and walk straight past each other, both giving a little smile to the other, and as they pass, both turn round and look back. And all they can really remember from that night is how comforting it was for both of them when Ben found out his news about his father. They don't say a word to each other, they just turn and go back to what they were doing. Episode 8, Second Embrace, with hearts and eyes open. Starring Sophie Okanedo as Elizabeth and Tobias Menzies as Van. Elizabeth lives alone in her London apartment with her two children. They keep talking about what they're going to be doing with Dad when they see him. And it seems that these two have been broken up for a while now. But it doesn't seem to be really affecting the relationship between the mother and father. Sometimes, as I know, as I very well know myself, whenever mention of my father happened, my mother wasn't too pleased and vice versa. So it seems to be a very mutual agreement that whatever happened, happened and they drifted apart. But it still seems amicable. We see that Elizabeth's a working mum as well. She seems to be in publishing of some sort. And she also seems to, as her friend describes her, be very vanilla in the bedroom as she's reading a book that is going to be published by the company. She finds it a little too racy when it talks about things like choking, which her colleague tells her that that's the norm these days. But Elizabeth just doesn't see it. It's not something she's ever thought of. Later we see Van with the girls and he is bringing them home, but it's only to pick up a ukulele because one of the daughters has forgotten it for performance that they're going to be doing later on that day. And it seems that Elizabeth has had possibly a late night and is woken up by them knocking at the door. When she sees Van, it seems that they do get along really well. There's still a lot of affection there and potentially a lot of love. They're obviously making the best of a bad situation for the girls. And with the level of tension between them, it just seems like obviously something went wrong between them. But maybe something that could be fixed. After the daughter's performance, Elizabeth invites Van over for dinner. So they can celebrate how well everything went. And after the kids have gone to bed, they're just reminiscing about old times and how they didn't used to have a TV and didn't have a phone and no computer. And what is it they did? What would you do in that situation? And Elizabeth reminds Van that they used to just kiss. They just made out for hours just to fill the time. And it's here that you see the spark semi-reignite between them. And they kiss again. Elizabeth invites Van up to her room and Van spends the night. In the morning, so the girls aren't suspicious, they sneak Van out. And Elizabeth tells him that on Tuesdays, the girls are going to be at drama at six. And we realise that she's arranging a date for them. So as the next couple of months goes on, it seems that things are going well between Elizabeth and Van. But Elizabeth initially said that she didn't want things to go too quickly. And she certainly just wanted to just have fun at this point. But now we're a few months down the road and Van has started looking for a ring. And once he's found the ring, he goes to speak to a waiter at a restaurant as a way to present the ring. But that night, when they actually go to the restaurant to eat, Elizabeth tells him 
the truth about what's been going on. It turns out that Elizabeth has just found out that she's got cancer. It's fairly aggressive and it's breast cancer, so things aren't looking good for her. Van tries to be as supportive as he can, but blurts out that they should get remarried. And at this point, it's not something that Elizabeth even wants to entertain. The next couple of weeks are obviously about recovery and treatment and finding what is best to help Elizabeth in this struggle. And after her operation, where we're told that everything seems like it's on the mend and they seem like they got everything out of her when it comes to the cancer, we see that her emergency call isn't actually Van anymore. She's got her best friend there with her, and when Van goes to see her after her operation, he can't get into the room, even though he's got the girls with him. Eventually, they call out Elizabeth's best friend, and she comes and gets the girls and heads into the room with them. But Van is left on the outside, looking at the woman he loves through the door. But thankfully, at this point, things are going well. After the operation, Elizabeth is allowed to come home, obviously after a couple of weeks of being in the hospital. When she gets there, Van is on hand for everything. He is helping out changing her dressings, he is looking after the girls, he's cooking meals, and he has improved himself just to be with her. The day before she came home, she listened to a message from Van that he left on the night that she walked out of the restaurant. And it tells her that she's always been the one for him ever since he met her and how much he's been in love with her for all these years. And that even when they split and she wondered why he wasn't dating, she was the reason why. It's always been her and he wants to be by her side while she battles. And he wants to be by her side when she's better. She admits to her friend that she's not sure that she ever fell out of love with him either. But when her friend asks about how she thinks her next diagnosis is going to go, she tells her it's not going to be good. She feels that they didn't get all the cancer that is still in there. And when she goes back to the hospital, it seems that she was right. It is bad and she needs more treatment. So she is admitted back to the hospital and, and Van does all that he can to look after the girls. But due to how great Van has been, she changes her next of kin so that Van can come visit her. One day in the hospital, they're sat and they're talking about everything that's gone on. Van pulls a ring out of his pocket and tells her, it's not a proposal, don't worry. But I did see this on one day that we went out and saw that you liked it. She tells him that the ring was too small for her, but actually, he's had it adjusted. He's really trying to be the man that she deserves. She tells him that if it had been a proposal, she would have said yes. And he tells her that, well, we have to fight this thing, because in the future, there will be many, many more proposals. And it's just a sweet story of how two people can come back together through adversity, and love each other again even though the love has always been there it's hard when you've split up from someone and you still carry that torch for them i know i've been there it's it's nice to get a second chance and especially when i know that the circumstances that surrounded it previously aren't going to be in the way this time it's a nice thought to have a fresh start with someone that you really care about but that is it that is the conclusion that is the end of modern love usa I mean, there's plenty more to go out with the international ones, but that is it for the Modern Love series. 
and it was it was good. Like I said, it is always light-hearted, and it always makes me feel happy watching it. I'm I'm a romantic at heart, and I think that anyone who knows me knows that. And it's strange that I've never really managed to get it right. But I am a romantic, so just watching this series just. Yeah, it makes me realise that I'm not the only one out there and that I just have to keep pushing through and trying, even though sometimes I just can't. I'll get there, I'm sure. But, you know, this series, is there's so many good actors in it. It's just brilliant and sweet stories and fun. And, you know, some of these have come from the column that was in the New York Times and it just, they're sweet. It's not aggressive hard-hitting tv it's not anything like i don't know euphoria or it's not you know something like supernatural or csi or hannibal dexter it's just a cute show that just tries to tell sweet little stories they're compact and they're unoffensive i really do like this show and i'd, I'd love to see another series of it speaking of another series and I will probably pick this up on the next episode as well. But I've just seen a recent development with uh, Hannibal Season 4. As you may have heard on the last two Hannibal episodes, I have spoke about it, saying that I want them to do a fourth season because I think it's worth it. And then I get a quick update the other day from Screen Rant saying that they're looking at it. So there is hope. It needs an ending, a proper ending, and I hope, Really hope we get it. Even if it's just a quick six-parter. Just give me some more Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal. Anyway, that is it for today. As always, come follow me on socials. Come find me. Come talk to me. I am planning at some point to re-record the intro and outro. Possibly for either the start of season four or the start of season five. Which will be my first full year doing this. So I will have more information about where to find me on there. But at the minute, you know, I'm on Twitter, X, I'm on Instagram. Just search for a million little TV, you'll find me. But thank you for listening to this. And as always, I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Well, that's all for now, amigos. If you manage to make it to the end of my ramblings, thank you. And if you want to rate, share, subscribe, comment, it's all appreciated. Until next time.